Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Normally, we would be bringing you the technology report today, but that's been preempted until next week because of our special guest, Pentagon Comptroller and Chief Financial Officer Mike McCord, who is one of the most experienced people to ever hold the office, having served all eight years uh, in the Comptroller's office during the Obama administration, the first four as Bob Hale's deputy, then four years as the Comptroller himself. And as during his last turn in office, he's working to mitigate the financial impact on the Pentagon of hyperpartisan politics in Washington, D.C. Sir, it's absolutely great to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for making time for us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Vago. And before we get started, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. So here we are in the middle of another uh, debt uh, default uh, drama. Uh, The last time this happened, you were Bob Hale's uh, deputy, and we ended up with the Budget Control Act of 2011. uh, And that was an extremely difficult period for the department. Uh, It was made easier, obviously, by large uh, supplemental packages uh, that, that certainly helped. What would the implicate, you know, there's a lot of debate about how bad this would be. The people, you know, there are people in Washington who don't believe a debt default would be particularly that bad, uh, even though it would devastate the dollar and actually help the Chinese and the Russians do what they want, which is to create an alternate reserve currency. What are the implications of a full debt default on the Pentagon and its industrial base? And is there any plan at this point from Treasury about, you know, X happens on X date if we go over the cliff? Yeah, as you say, um, default is very serious business. Potential default is very serious business. Uh, never happened in our country's history. So there isn't the experience-based playbook for this that there is for, for lapses that are commonly known as shutdowns, right? Um, we've been looking at what kind of things would happen. Um, it, it, it has some, some similarities and some differences. And I'll just briefly kind of the, the biggest similarity to me is that um, it, it hurts it it hurts the people and it hurts the mission, right? So either way, whether you have a shutdown or you have you have a default, somebody's not getting paid on time. That somebody could be could be uh, a corporal, it could be uh, a captain, it could be a civilian, it could be a contractor, it could be a big contractor, it could be a small business contractor, but. Uh, and you know we don't really have a, a way to tell. We we sitting like in my office can't look across those millions of people and say which of them, you know, is most impacted, is most needs that next paycheck on time. But we know that there's people like that, right? That people depend on their people, people build their lives on their paycheck being paid on time so that they can cover their their rent, their mortgage, their medical bills, everything else in life. So that that would be a similar impact, right? That happens in a shutdown. Some people are told to stay home. Some people are told to keep coming into work. There's no money for a while, whether it's a week, a day, a, a month. And, and then people um, have confidence, but not assurance that they're going to get paid back, right? Uh, right. In a default, um, we would still have money in our checking accounts, but we wouldn't be able to get it out, right? Because, because our bank, which is the U.S. government bank, the Treasury, wouldn't have enough money to honor all the obligations 
that uh, on a cash basis only without without being able to borrow any additional funds across the government. So people would people would come into work and we could not tell them when they were going to get paid. We could they probably have pretty good assurance they would get paid eventually. That would be a legal requirement. But you know your 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 landlord or whoever else might not be happy that you don't have the money to pay them on time to pay your bills on time. So that part has a lot of similarity that hurts people. Uh, again, government people, but not limited to government people, including our vendors. And then um, I think the biggest difference probably is is that it's um, it's not got the same obvious connection to pausing operations because again, we legally could still continue to operate. It's more about not being able to pay your bills than about having to shut down your operations. So that's probably the biggest difference. Um, right. Secretary was at a hearing yesterday. I'll just add one more point with uh, Secretary Austin was at a hearing yesterday with Secretary of State Bling and Secretary of Commerce Raimondo. On China, this was Senate Appropriations hearing about if China requires a whole of government effort, talk about some of the different things that state, DOD, and commerce all do to play in that. This subject came up yesterday, too. Um, you know, how serious is this? And it, and it touches on some of the same things, Baga, that you just raised of if you call into question the dollar as the, as the reserve currency for the world, that has enormous implications for our economy and also for our ability to conduct foreign policy. If, uh, you know, if, if there's not dollar denominated currency, then sanctions must become much harder, et cetera. So there's implications way beyond DOD, but, but I, I, I hopefully I've described a little bit of just some of the DOD specific impacts. One of the options that folks are now talking about is the U.S. Treasury selectively pays its, its bills rather than a default, the default, right? It's being called a government slowdown. Uh, and it's unclear what sort of global ramifications that exist from that. What, what does that end up looking like for the department, and have you received any guidance from Treasury on how that would actually work? Like, who do you furlough? How long you furlough them for? You know, who you pay, who you don't pay, right? I mean, have you guys worked through the potential ins and outs of that nightmare scenario? There, there is, there is not a plan that we have worked with Treasury to that uh, on that. Um, a couple points. Um, what bills to pay in, in what order is Treasury's purview? We would continue to operate, I believe, would be my recommendation, certainly. And so we would continue to incur obligations that we would be asking Treasury to pay. But, you know, we, as you know, we are, we are a big agency for sure, but we are not, you know, we are not the only game in town in terms of Treasury's obligations. And I'm probably, I'm sure you've probably seen some of the charts of, Social Security payments that on what days they fall on, on, on uh, debt debt renewals, Medicare payments. There's a there's a lot of other factors where based, basically you know what what bills to pay in what order um, is is basically way above our pay grade at DOD. Right, we're 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 part of the we're part of Treasury's problem in in that in that um, scenario, but there is not a plan that they are working with us or other agencies of of how to um, sort of manage through that kind of situation. Um, certainly not involving furloughs, for example, because as I said earlier, um, right. we would have no legal obligation to furlough anybody because we have money in our checking accounts to pay civilian salaries, unlike a shutdown. That's again, it's a big difference. In a shutdown, you would say, well, person A or person B, there better be a good reason they're coming in 
which is why we categorize their duties as exempt because we're running an, up an obligation that we don't have money to pay for, but a default is not that situation. At least, at least it would not be this summer. Uh, and at what point does it become a problem for you then, right? Well, I think, so I, if, think the, the, I mean, the, 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 worst, the worst scenario that I can think of on this front would be if, if the default situation were overlaid with the end of a fiscal year and, we, and there was no agreement, no, fund, you know, no CR could be agreed to because you hadn't agreed to the default and therefore you had no money in your checking account and Treasury had no cash left. That would be that would be actually even worse than what we're talking about now is is a possible default in the last quarter of the fiscal year, the last four months of the fiscal year, when we still have perfectly legally valid appropriations from Congress in in our many checking accounts at Treasury. It, it's just um, it's such an extremely uh, just it's just incredible in in, in the sense uh, that uh, you know we are kind of where we are and how yeah. it would sort of play out right that uh, in some cases it's not as you know even though it's a nightmare scenario and it's the end of the financial world scenario it's not necessarily as bad as DoD in the interim period because you've got money in the account right yeah and I just want I want again I want I want to say though again it's not it's not necessarily as immediately bad for the Department of Defense but the badness of a default is much broader than us it's not about us um and the harm is prop to the country and including our national security is probably much greater than any shutdown we've ever experienced were this to happen but because it's never happened you can't sort of point to history you can't point to what happened last time, but I, I think you're, you, you've raised a number of the things that people have pointed out. I mean, right. this, this calls into question our leadership on any number of fronts, whether it's the economic front or, or the, the, the leadership, just the leadership, you know, how, how well, how well functioning of a, of a economy and democracy we are. So the implications are much broader than us right. and, uh, and therefore, um, you know, I think have a different characteristic uh, than than past than past um, shutdown based situations had. Does this end up hurting you? I mean, Byron Callen of uh, Capital Alpha Partners has joined us regularly, and he sort of sees like, look, if there's a massive constriction in the global banking system, that's going to impact contractors, their uh, ability, uh, you know, their cash flow abilities, and and what have you. Are you are you concerned about the sort of broader, wider economic implications? on your supplier and industrial base, uh, given the department is a consumer from, you know, everything from services to hard goods, from toilet paper to, uh, you know, stealthy combat aircraft. Yeah, I mean, we don't, I don't, I don't think we have the ability in real time to assess the impacts across all of our tens, several, several thousands of vendors. I, I, I wanna say we do business in a year with maybe as many as 50,000, but I think actively at least 16, 17,000 vendors, I think, in any given month that we were doing business with at DOD. And I, I have no way to tell. I'm not sure our industrial-based policy people have any way to tell, you know, all of their different cash flow situations, whether they're how, which more, more leveraged, less leveraged. Again, I'm going to go back to, I'm sure we have small business suppliers that are down in the supply chain from, whether from the primes or, or because they have, maybe they're, they're mowing the lawn someplace um, that absolutely cannot, you know, you know, don't need and probably, you know, gonna gonna suffer from 
whether it's interest rates jacking up or, or missed miss right. paychecks because Treasury is on a first come first serve kind of sending money out the door as tax revenues come in and they needed that money, um, their employees needed that money. So yeah, I think there's going to be impacts to our to our vendor base just as there would be to our employees. It's just hard to to be super specific about something right. that has never happened and hasn't happened yet and should not happen. But it, um, it, the reason it should not happen is because I think the, the some of the impacts, as you've described, are reasonably predictable harm. Right. Um, and just one last uh, question on that. I mean, is there any, you know, have you guys created or is there a fund? Uh, right. I mean, it, it's too early for that then. Am, am I understanding that correctly? Uh, that, hey, you know, industry could need help. Let's park some money uh, here or there to try to help them uh, th through that. Is it too early for that in, in terms no, of I'm not, how I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's feasible early or late. Um, right. You know, all my money's in one bank. Right. <laughs> called the U.S. Treasury. Um, so, you know, if they're if they are, you know, standing at the cash window saying, I don't care how much money you have in your account, you get two hundred dollars today because that's how much I have. You know, then I can't I can't I can't do what you just said. I can't I can't right. sort of right. save money to move it over here. Um, right. Because I still can't get my money out of the bank. We are in the negotiation phase right now, uh, and there are all sorts of uh, permutations. Obviously, both sides are trying to drive as hard of a bargain as they can on this. From what you're hearing, uh, what are the things that you can live with and what are things that you would caution people against doing, right? Because as our mutual friend Todd Harrison, uh, who's now with Matreya, uh, you know, points out, um, you know, the, the, the hostage is valuable only if people value its life and safety. And this mm -hmm. is another situation where you're being held hostage by people who might not actually be as concerned about your well-being uh, at, at the end of the day. What, do, what are you seeing that's potentially worrying? Uh, and what are what are things that are potentially a little bit less worrying for you as, as people go through the negotiating process, which I suspect you've let the White House write and the secretary and everybody have let uh, at least the White House know where you stand on it. And I suspect you've also let you know members know. What, what's your sense? First of all, as you say, uh, this is being negotiated above our pay grade at the White House level, the leadership level. So um, I think that does make us a hostage as opposed to a we're not a negotiator here. As I, as I said in, in an earlier question, it's not about us at DOD per se. So we're, we're an important, impacted interested party, but we are, you know, this, this is really a bigger, a bigger picture uh, discussion at the, at the presidential and, and leadership level. Some of the things that we, you've read about and I've read about, um, DOD has no direct equity in, right? What the work requirements for food stamps or, or um, so-called clawing back COVID aid that maybe has not been spent yet. Uh, there's things that are being discussed that are important part of the negotiations. It would appear from the open source press that are not DOD programs that don't affect us. The thing that would primarily affect us would be, of course, the um, successful avoidance or not of a default, number one. And number two, then, would spending caps, return of Budget Control Act, as, as one might call it, is that going to be part of the deal? And if so, how how much savings, you know, how severe would the caps be and for how long? Uh, so as you, you know, I'm sure you know, the House passed a bill that had 10 years of spending caps in return for only one year of debt ceiling relief, which didn't seem like a very 
attractive offer to the president, I'm sure. Uh, so where would that end up? Would it be, you know, five years of caps, two years of caps in return for two years of debt ceiling or uh, something like that? Uh, that's where our interest lies. But again, that's being that's being negotiated above our pay grade. Um, right. But our, our interest in it is pretty obvious. And uh, I think so the big a big question would be, are we still living in a world where um, that will manifest as a defense cap and a non-defense cap or a security cap and a non-security cap? Or would it end up the way the House passed a bill with just a overall discretionary spending cap where everyone has to sort of fight inside the same lifeboat? Um, in the, you know, as you know, Vago, in, in almost every deal that there's ever been since the Andrews Budget Summit in 1990, defense has had its own category. But that's that's not a given here. Um, if if it if it did work out that way, then obviously we we'd be able to look at that agreement very quickly and see how we how how it inf impacts us, right? But if it's not right. um, because people find it in their interest to, uh, or the only way you can get a deal is to keep pushing the fight to the appropriations process, that that would be a worse outcome for us in a way because then all that uncertainty just would perpetuate over the one years, two years, three years of, of however long the deal is. If there was no, if it, if there's a free for all every year for the length of the deal, um, you you remember, you know that that would be a bad outcome for us. You remember back in the Budget Control Act, uh, we had right you had you had a starting point, you had the kind of medium point if there if the super committee had succeeded you had the default that you know then it dropped the bottom dropped out when the super committee did not succeed right and then what happened after that you had 10 years of caps but they got renegotiated four different times in four different two-year deals so that you know ultimately those caps were changed a bunch of times but you never knew very far in advance what they were going to be changed to so were you going to Go up, stay level, or drop down next year was 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 that was part of the pain that we all lived through when I was here before. Is is what is it that they want us to be doing? Do they want us to be kind of keeping on a steady course to to be to be cutting? Is is fiscal you know our fiscal savings more important than executing the strategy? Um, so we we could end up back in that world. And so that's probably the big unknown for us, right? So there's the near term, the exact shock to the to the US and global economy if 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 there's no deal and then what is the what is what does the deal look like and again it would it would appear that likely that a deal would include some kind of spending caps that will affect our equities but um whether again that that could be something that's you know seems doable to us or it could be again like the house pass bill going back to FY22 levels is about a 100 billion dollar cut a year uh, compared to what what we what we proposed and what we had before Congress, that we generally feel Congress has been pretty receptive to. So that's a pretty wide divergence of you know we we send you a defense budget and and a strategy, and the committees have generally I think been fairly receptive to it and supportive of it. Even not to say they agree with every program programmatic choice, of course, but I think if if you're telling us on the one and you were heading in the right direction, then we could be sent a very opposite message. Uh, you know, based on, you know, from from spending caps, if they were as deep as what the House passed to kind of get this negotiation started. Well, one of the things that, and you and I spoke uh, at the Reagan uh, National Defense Forum uh, in uh, December, 
uh, and uh, Defense Secretary Austin, Air Force Secretary uh, Kendall have made the case, look, this is, it is imperative that we get to some kind of regular order on this. Uh, and a full year CR would be a devastating thing. You're now suggesting that we might actually be beyond full year CR territory, right? So if we are in a CR through December 24, uh, at a time when the department is trying to move quickly, right, field capability, start new programs. I mean, the Air Force alone has something like two dozen new starts, uh, which you know better than I do. What what are what are what are the implications, and what are the things that you can start to do now? to protect yourself as best as possible um, in, in this meantime? Okay, um, a lot in there. So I would agree with you that uh, a full year CR, which is in the, it shares one characteristic with the default, right? It's never happened to the Department of Defense. It has happened to other agencies. It's never happened to us. So there's that sort of going over a cliff you've never gone over before, um, how, how bad does that hurt kind of aspect to that. I would also agree that it no longer necessarily looks like the worst <laughs> the worst thing that could happen, right? A uh, full year CR at last year's level is, is less of a cut than what the house passed as their negotiating position for this default negotiations, right? That's going back two years ago, CR presumably by definition goes back to FY23 levels as opposed to going back to FY22 levels. That's a substantial difference over even one year, let alone five years or or, or so of, of resetting your spending baseline down. Right. Um, so we can we can talk about and we we can all think about what what would make a full year CR you know a middle ground where you couldn't agree to X but you agreed to that. Um, you could see it happening. I mean, these were things that I don't remember. Perhaps you do, but I don't ever really talking about as a serious possibility before the last two, three years. And now every year it sort of gets talked about as it could happen this time. Right. And it didn't in 22 and it didn't in 23. But every year it seems just as real that it could happen this time because of the dynamics that we that we see now of, a, you, know, of a, you know, obviously a, a thin majority on one side with divided government and, and, and to be a lack of obvious consensus in the house majority party of what a good defense number looks like. You know, what number would they be looking for I would think that the, the you know the the Senate majority would be likely to align with the president's request, but it's less clear on the House side. Um, so yes, you could you could see it happening. I guess is where I was trying to get to. And if if that if we were being messaged from our committees that hey, it looks like we can't get you know we can't get anything better than a full year CR, we would like everybody else have our hand up for special consideration. Could you fix my top five problems? Could you fix my top 10 problems? Could you fix my top 100 problems? When you get to 100, you know, the answer is, is almost certainly no. At that point, you're actually writing a bill. So um, you could be stuck in a world where you only get 10 or something, right? Because when every agency asks for 10, that's already 250 things. Um, so we would have we would have a lot of work to do. We would know where to start, of course. But uh, we would have a lot of work to do to absorb both the top line cut and and the misprioritization of funds that you know that would that would result from a literal full year CR. Again, since it's never happened, you can't kind of go back to your history playbook of well, the last time we had a full year CR, they gave us this and this and this as workarounds. Um, what you would what you would hope for at a minimum would be if you're going to as a matter of 
you know, the only thing that you can agree to is to hold funding at last year's level. Let us work with you to rearrange how the funding right. is distributed. Um, but but that only goes so far. Let me just give you one obvious math problem. Everybody, I think, has supported and will support. Everybody supported last year 4.6% pay raise. Everybody this year, I suspect, will support the 5.2% pay raise, biggest pay raise in 20 years, as you heard me say when we rolled this out for a military, biggest pay raise in 40 years for our civilians driven by what was going on in the economy with tight labor market and wages going up, and we need to compete right. with that. So that costs billions of dollars, which has to come out of someplace. So if our top line is is not only not growing, but is, but is you know, staying flat and we're absorbing a pay raise, then even if you give me, you know, an amount of money, we still have to, we still have some, a, a big pain point in our personnel world of, okay, we're, you know, we're trying to do better at recruiting. We're already doing well at retention. Um, what would we do to absorb a multi-billion-dollar cut, say five billion dollars, in, in our military personnel budget to absorb right. the pay raise for people? Um, just, just hypothetically, right? If you're living in a world which you are where retention is strong and recruiting is, is is struggling, you're already potentially imbalancing your force a little bit by not having enough people coming in. Right. So the, the normal way you would approach that kind of problem would be to um, to reduce accessions because then you're not having to involuntarily separate people who are serving, but that might actually make your imbalance worse. So that's just a, one of the one of the hundreds of problems we would have of absorbing a lower than expected funding level on probably right. somewhat short notice, even if we were given the chance to work with the committees to shape how it would occur. Uh, but there would be there would be you know dozens of those problems from from the triad to our people. Um, so I wouldn't and want you, to think that that was a great solution. Uh, no, it's 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 not. And and it's as only, you said, it's right, only less worse financially than going back even lower to FY twenty two levels. Um, well, so and from an expectation standpoint, right? I mean, you're now tracking multiple balls simultaneously, right? I mean, it's it's sort of a multiplicity of bad outcomes. One is a default, which in some ways is not as bad. Then uh, you've got um, a, uh, uh, a spending constraint situation, which may be somewhat more immediate. Then you have a potentially protracted continuing resolution, each one of which is constraining your ability to maneuver. Members have said that they are willing, that there is some upside, like, and assuming we get through this period without a whole series of self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the head. If we are right, so what does a positive scenario look like, right? I mean, do you expect another 10 billion, 20 billion, 30 billion, or does an increase come with constrained strength? You know what I mean? That, okay, authorizers give you more money, but appropriators don't give you more money because you know, you're in a, a deal, right? Is, and then, oh, by the way, what does this do for your planning assumptions for 25, right, in terms of what the baselines were? Because it seems like even within the confines of the administration, you were hitting the upper end of what the White House was willing to give you. You guys did take a cut, right, which uh, forced a little bit of last minute maneuvering on your guys' part, right? What does that fiscal outlook look like? for you as you look this year, but then into 25 and what your planning assumptions are. Because if we end up in another 10-year deal, right, another 10-year BCA two, you're in dicey territory going forward for a 
protracted period of time at the very time the United States can't afford. Um, I'll just say uh, like two points here. I agree with what you've laid out there that you can sort of see obstacles in the path ahead of you to get from now till close to Christmas time is you've got a, a default hazard and you've got a, what would a, a deal that would cut spending seriously enough to satisfy people who are threatening to, to accept default if they don't get spending cuts. And then you've got the, 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 well, neither of those bad things happened, but you had a full year CR because we just couldn't, there wasn't enough bandwidth or there wasn't enough support to inc further increase spending. It's hard for me to imagine that we, that we avoid all three of those um, and come out of here at the end of the year with, with uh, as, as you were just positing, not only everything we asked for, but an increase. I mean, it's possible, but it doesn't strike me as, as the most likely scenario at this point. So um, we are going to have to keep our eyes open and, and, and be prepared to adjust. Um, given how these things are probably going to work, I mean, it, you, if you had the deal, you might at least know by the 4th of July, let's say, here's your new spending target for 25 or 26. I don't, I don't, I, I really can't see a 10 year deal at this point, certainly not in return for a one year debt ceiling increase. That just seems like a non-starter to me. But um, again, I'm not, I'm not a negotiator. So I, 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 I'm only saying it seems to me that that doesn't seem like a very fair trade, shall we say. Um, but even if we only had a two year deal, that would, that would cover the rest of this administration, right? Maybe a, a deal that for, two years of debt ceiling relief at two years of spending caps or something that would, that would cover the rest of my likely time here in the time of this administration. So we would still be, whether it's two years or 10 years, we have, we'd be reacting to it in our next budget. Right. Um, if you ended up in, in the CR land, I could see that decision coming much later after we'd already put in a lot of work and, and, and teed up a lot of decisions for the secretary assuming that, that Congress has supported our strategy, supported our top line, and we should be going on this. You can't see my hand on without on audio here, but that we'd be going on the same, you know, the same vector we've been on and then having to readjust. The later that happens, the harder it is for us to, to adjust to it, um, right? If it happens in November or December, we get, we finally get the word, hey, here's this, here's the deal, right? This is what you're going to get. Um, if we find out a little sooner, that would at least be a little more, you know, give us a little more time to, to make better choices to tee up to the secretary and then to the president. But I, I, the, I do agree with you that it's hard, it, it's hard to, you know, when you've got three different, three different sort of problem sets out there, three different, three different pitfalls that you could fall into between a, a deal that really changes your outlook, a default that changes everything significantly, or even, or even a long-term CR, um, only one of those three has ever happened before, right? And and even there, but even that doesn't help me that much because that doesn't tell me what this deal would look like. So basically, is there anything as a as a last question because I know you've got to go in a minute? Um, I mean, is there any way to mitigate? What would you ask everybody in this process to try to at least mitigate some of the? You, you know what I mean to minimize. Mm -hmm. as much as possible, the negative implications on the department, right? I mean, at this point, we're in a crap storm and there's no way that there's, you know what I mean? Uh, so mm -hmm. what, what is it that you would ask as the Pentagon comptroller, the chief financial officer of the defense department to at least as much as possible 
whatever the political antics are to at least from a national security standpoint, mitigate the impacts on a department that is in the midst of a generational change initiative? I guess my, I'll, I'll give you two answers to that. My first one would be um, the more, I'll give you the more tactical answer first, I guess. If there was a separate cap for defense as opposed to non-defense, and if there was a spending deal that that, that solved the, de the default threat, if that spending deal told us what was expected for national security, us plus DOE, you know, the, the usual definition that's used in these budget deals, that would be good for us. That would give us a lot more certainty. I recognize that I have partners in dozens of other agencies that would all be in the same pot of all the non-defense spending that would not have that same relief. And so I don't want to imply that that's a, that that's a panacea, right? That that helps DOD a lot if we, because we're 95% of a defense cap, but it still leaves everybody else with a lot of uncertainty if there's a reduction in spending and, and everybody else has to all tussle with OMB about how that gets shared out. We Other people still have, have a lot of problems even if that has partially addressed our problem of, of, of uncertainty. Um, secondly, obviously the the closer it gets to to the um, the top lines that we propose, this, which which align with the strategy we propose, the, the less harm there will be, the less harm of our ability to keep doing what we've been doing. And so that 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 really then segues me to the to the other answer to the bigger picture answer. Um, and this is something I think I was saying when I was member of the Strategy Commission a couple of years ago. If you believe that we're in a serious geopolitical competition with a serious geopolitical challenge, then we should treat it seriously, right? And, and not be going through this the, these you know dramas of, of potential defaults and potential shutdowns. Um, and I think that's what you saw yesterday. If you saw uh, Secretary Austin, Secretary Blink, and Secretary Raimondo with the, with the Appropriations Committee. China is a whole of government challenge that requires serious, thoughtful, long-term action on defense, on the CHIPS Act, on diplomacy. You know, then treat it seriously and act accordingly. And and I think that's uh, I'm not trying to necessarily channel uh, a defense SACD Chairman Tester, but that's that's kind of the point he's been making when we we were at the Senate Defense Subcommittee about a week ago, and and yet again yesterday. You know. Let, let's act like serious adults here and, and get these problems solved. Uh, because I, I think, I really do think that we are on a track that the vast majority of members support what we're trying to do and the way we're doing it. Not, not again, not a hundred percent, you know, rubber stamp approval of everything that we propose, but the, but the, I think the alignment of strategy and budget, we worked really hard at it here. Secretary is pretty happy with how we've been able to align strategy and budget. So if you support that, then, you know, let's let's all get behind that and, and um, figure out a way to move forward. Sir, thanks uh, very much. Uh, we wish you all the best of luck uh, in this uh, period uh, and uh, certainly look forward to talking to you, uh, God willing, once uh, all of this uh, is over with and we're in something that looks more like regular order. Do, do you think that there's any, let me ask you one last question. Do you think that there's any scenario in which we sort of miraculously in two months end up in something that looks like regular order or are you buckling in for what's going to be a particularly bumpy ride for the next couple of years? Let me put it that way. Um, I, I, I'm not in a position to say what for the next couple of years. I, I do expect that there's something that will get decided this year would, 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 you know, that we won't be living this much uncertainty for the next 
for the rest of my time in this job. I, th I think that's that's a lot more turbulence, and I, th I mean I, that would that would be a disappointing outcome to a negotiation if it left us back in the same place six months or twelve months from now. So I'm I'm hopeful that that's not the case, but I will um, I will take you up on your offer of wishing me luck. I will, luck luck is welcome <laughs> as well as as well as uh, you know skill and everything else. So um, I'm optimistic that um, I'm concerned, but optimistic. I mean, I'm optimistic that all the that all the leaders and the president want to get something done, and we you know right. want the country to keep moving forward. So I just hope that that shared goal can result in shared you know. Uh, common common ground on how to get there and what's an acceptable uh what's an acceptable deal but uh since we haven't seen that yet um you know we're as concerned as everybody else about about the prospect of some pretty dramatic uh unprecedented uh you know consequences if this thing doesn't get worked out well sir again uh all the best of luck and it's it's not about you it's all about us right we're all in the same boat together and we're all americans uh, and at the end of the day, um, we're in a highly competitive situation with competitors who want to take advantage of uh, any weakness that we, we, we give them for, for them to exploit. Mm -hmm. Yes. 